This is episode 94 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm your host, John S. Today I'll be speaking with Thomas L. from Gothenburg, Sweden. I met Thomas in the secret Facebook group for AA Beyond Belief. One day we were all posting comments about the use of the Lord's Prayer in AA meetings, and Thomas posted something that I found really funny and clever, and I thought that I would have him on a podcast. So that interaction from several months ago has resulted in this conversation between me and Thomas. Thomas, how you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Well, you know, why don't we kind of get started here? Uh, Can you can you introduce yourself a little bit through your AA story and let us know uh, a little bit about what got you started in the program? Yeah, uh, it started uh, back in '09 when my boss found out that I I had a problem with alcohol, so I started in. outpatient treatment in in a Minnesota-based rehab for a year, and uh, it it was a good year. But uh, at the same time, my marriage was collapsing. I had uh, totally wrecked my economy on internet poker and drinking. That's a devastating combination. Mm -hmm. So all in all, it ended up that uh, I lost my job anyway. I I took a relapse too many. So then uh, around about 2011, I think I went to my finally went to my first AA meeting, and it was uh, it was a really great experience. Mm-hmm. Like many others, I I had the feeling of finding finding my people and finding a place to belong. And it was uh, as far as religion was concerned, it it was really accepting and inclusive. Mm-hmm. I, I remember a, a one liner from one of my first meetings. The, one old timer said that, well, some of us believe in God, but if you believe in a cup of coffee at an AA meeting, that's okay. To me, that was just a perfect summary of the third tradition that I decide to stop drinking. That's it. And whatever you believe aside of that, that's anything goes. So my, the, the trouble is that uh, that I had was finding some faith that that being sober could be a good thing. And I did realize that me and alcohol was a completely devastating combination but especially as I had lost my job I I had just been through a divorce and believing that my life could be worth living anytime was was really difficult so so I had a few years of relapsing and Mm -hmm. coming back to a maybe say half a year sober a year of drinking and and then finally in 2015 I I was lagging behind three months rent and uh, I started getting this feeling that the the last ship was about to sail, that if I lose my apartment, then that's the end of my life in any, I mean, being homeless and alcoholic and wrecked economy, I, I just couldn't see a way to ever get back from that. So I managed to get to get myself together and, and as I thought, then just to make one last try at sobriety and, and it worked. Mm-hmm. I, I have been sober since. So it is. It, it started with a really horrible first year of sobriety because my I had I had drank myself to a depression. As I saw it back then, I drank because I had a depression. But I, I think it's looking back. I think it's more true to say that I was depressed because I drank. But I, I did. I was. Uh, I decided to go on anti-abuse. Uh, because I was uh, especially thinking back of my history of relapses. I, I just felt that I, I can't afford trusting myself. I, I need some sort of crutch to, to mm-hmm. stay upright until I get a stable sobriety. So, but after 
a little more than a year, I to, I was really surprised that I could sort of feel this feeling that how did this, this happen? Because I, I started to get a self-image that I, I was the sort of person who could not possibly stay low, stay sober for more than about six months. And mm-hmm. so I think one, one of my kind of mental tricks to keep me sober was to try to pretend that I didn't know how long I'd been sober because I, I was so scared about that uh, half-year hang-up that I'd sort of built up some notion that after six months, that's when I relapsed. So Mm -hmm. it was a kind of constructive self-delusion to pretend that I didn't know how long I was sober. But then about after about a year, I realized that, well, maybe I should dare have a look in my calendar. And well, it's actually a year. So, Mm -hmm. so it kind of proved to myself that, well, apparently I am not the kind of person who automatically relapses after half a year. And, and that, it, it was about then that I realized that there was, I mean, it wasn't destiny or anything like magical about relapsing. Mm-hmm. I kind of fully realized that I I choose if I pick up the first drink or if I don't pick up the first drink. So if I want to be the kind of person who stays sober, that's my choice. And, uh, sounds like you use the 24-hour plan. Just don't take that first drink one day at a time, basically. Yeah, I, I leaned very hard on that mm-hmm. the first year. I even had a kind of a dark variety of it. There, there's a Swedish comedian who <laughs> once said a, a really good one-liner that uh, it's never too late to give up. I mean, back in, I think it was sometime in the 90s that he said it. And <laughs> I, I just thought of it as a joke. But being in the place I was, I realized that, yeah, it it really makes very profound yeah, it does sense make sense, doesn't it? <laughs> maybe I will give up and just drink myself to death, but mm. what the heck, I can at least postpone it till tomorrow if I fall asleep sober tonight, then, mm-hmm. well, maybe I'll decide to start drinking tomorrow, but just put it off till tomorrow, and, and I kept putting it off long enough for for sobriety to last so so are you still uh, involved with with alcoholics anonymous do you still um, go to meetings and that kind of thing yeah yeah i do so i'm active in maybe three or four groups because it's uh, gothenburg is where i live is is really good i think there's about 50 or 60 meetings a week within reach to me so uh, but i have started to think about uh, starting a secular group because mm-hmm. it's uh, Around about last summer, I when I realized that it actually looked like sobriety was going to last, and I I started daring, looking forward to what I wanted with the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. although it my experience of AA has been inclusive, it it still was some kind of feeling of good but not great. That there is a lot of I mean there is talk about God and finding a god or my conception i don't believe in god so it really doesn't make much sense it, it doesn't get me anywhere to have the conception that i don't believe in god so what <laughs> <laughs> i guess it's just inherent with the program because of all the higher you know higher power written throughout the steps and the meetings yeah. and the meetings in sweden are do they make a big deal out of the big book and the step well it, it's uh, i think not not as much mm-hmm. as uh, I've been exploring the web and what people in the US and other countries, and I don't think there's that really rigid 
book something and considering the big book as some sort of holy scripture it, right. it's not quite that bad but but still there is a there's some some sort of don't tell policy. I mean, nobody says outright that you're not allowed to criticize it, but there's some sort of silent agreement that we, we don't complain. We don't criticize the big book mm-hmm. too much. I, I started to kind of uh, want to find some place to express myself more freely. I think I'm certainly not the only atheist to see the we agnostic sets. Uh, that's the one chapter that's actually been more of an obstacle than a help to me. Sure. Especially that notion that, uh, well, get God or die. And I've realized I have a peculiar take on the, on the second step because finding faith is kind of an awkward concept to an atheist. But what I realized after about a year, a year and a half, was that I, I needed faith just that my life could be worth living. It's simple as that. No, yeah. just a life worth and and to get that faith I I really needed to consciously debunk that idea of get God or die. Because I from for many years I kind of saw my atheism as a problem. But but I realized the, the only problem I had that I really had was that I thought my atheism was a problem. I just accept who I am, then, then it's not a problem anymore. <laughs> you know, I think when I was probably first starting out in the program, I um, experienced everything probably on an emotional level. And um, although I wasn't ever a religious person, I did I did uh, follow the program, I guess, the traditional way. And I, maybe there was a part of me that kind of liked the mystery involved with the religion. But now that I've been sober for a while, I've kind of, I've kind of, and especially now that I've embraced atheism, I've kind of um, intellectualized it in a little bit, in a way. I don't, I, I focus more on what actually happened to me and the things that I did, and I'm not so much concerned about what I was feeling or what I was believing. It was just kind of hard to explain. But so like when I look at that second step, I just look at what what actually happened to me at the time. And for me, it was essentially I just I just came to understand that I needed help. I came to understand that I could be helped. I guess that was the the point in my life where I I realized a little bit of hope that things could change, you know, because we get kind of stuck when we're when we're in our drinking. And like you were describing, you know, you just kind of imagine that that's the way it was going to be for you. And so yeah. that hope means a lot. It's kind of a natural follow up from the first step that mm-hmm. you need to start realizing that there is a problem. But if you don't find any hope that that problem can actually be solved on, and you just, just beat yourself on the head. You That's need right. to go from knowing there is a problem to believing and that there can be a solution and trying yeah. to find that solution. And I think, you know, when Bill was writing those steps, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't really writing them in a way where I think it was supposed to be taken as dogma um, or anything of that sort. He was just describing what actually happened to him and the people in the group. Now, they were taking it from a religious perspective. There's no doubt about it. But, um, yeah, that was their situation. They just they they gave up on the idea that they could drink. 
and they came to believe that they could find help. They, you know, they threw themselves into the program, all of that, all of that stuff. Um, but they were seeing it through the lens of the of the Oxford group at that time. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting how here in this part of the country where I live, um, we do have that big book dogmatism and worship of the big book. And there are some groups that are almost it's almost comical the <laughs> the extent that they go to worshiping it. But why, why do you think you would like to start a secular AA meeting? Um, I, I mean, I can see where it could, it could be helpful, but it sounds like, you know, you, you live in a pretty secular environment and um, the meetings aren't as dogmatic as they are here. It just seems to be kind of a, 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 a quiet understanding that you just don't criticize the book. And, and it seems to be that um, people just expect you to have a higher power of some sort. Is that pretty much the way it is in Sweden, in AA? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. There's a, a few different reasons why I've started to think about starting a secular meeting. Uh, one is, as I said, I, I sometimes have a feeling of good but not great. And now that I've started to think that, well, maybe I could be one of those old geezers who talk about what it was like back in the day and i just feel that why why should i settle with kind of good if, right. if it can be great i think uh, i i've been in many ways fortunate that the rehab i, I started out with was very clear about god you you can in, choose to interpret god as group of drunks and very clear about that there's no requirement for any religion and but i've uh, i've heard so many others talk about they that when they first came they were kind of cautious if the AA was religious and some of them saw God all over the walls and drank a few more years and so I think uh, for those who are still out there and thinking that maybe AA is too religious for them it, yeah. it could be a help to people who are more allergic to God than I am. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, um, the truth of the matter is now that when when anybody, if they're probably going to think about going to AA anyway, they'll do a little bit of research online. And, yeah, if they see God all over the place, they might just say, oh, not for me. I'll try something else. So, yeah, having a secular yeah. option would, would be valuable in, in that extent. We have the same thing here. A lot of people just won't go to regular meetings and they come to our group. So, yeah, it'd be good to see a group yeah. start up over there. It, it could be. I, I think it could be to actually do the 12 steps. Uh, that would be so much easier with a secular group. Because uh-huh. I, I, never, I never had a sponsor and did the steps in, in any conventional way. I mean, uh-huh. most meetings are about one or another step. So I, I have done most of the steps some way or another. One of the early things I realized in AA was the need to be honest to myself, to let the, that, that talk about I like to party, I might have a drink too many, just let go of that nonsense and start calling a spade a spade. Doing the, the steps like they're originally written just clashed with that, that getting ready to pray, pray to God. If I would do that literally, it, it would just be an empty charade. I really need to find my own way of seeing it. And so I think that could be a help both to me and, and to those who, who could actually find some value in the steps if you if you take away the God bit of them and like the, the core of them and what, what's the essence of them if you kind of remove the religious talk. Yeah, 
get right down to the actually the things that are that you do they're all about what we experience what we've done what's happened or what we do i think in my opinion anyway yeah so do you find them personally useful i have many of them i have i I mean the first step is the most obvious one i guess i mean realizing that there is a problem and having a decent grasp of what that problem is that i think that's the most universal step i mean applying the steps to all our affairs i mean I, I couldn't even fix a flat tire on my bike if i don't start out with realizing that i have a flat tire so yeah and of course finding hope to to believe that there can be a solution so many of the steps i've and, and i mean for the fourth and fifth step that's pretty much what i do when i share so much of them uh, kind of done the substance of them without following the letter Absolutely. That's, that's how I kind of see it too. I, um, I've come to realize that a lot of, a lot of what's written in those steps are, I pretty much had taken care of just by going to meetings, you know, by getting honest and sharing with whatever was going on with me at the time. I think that going to the meetings was a big, big thing to me as my sobriety at the time. Yeah. So how'd you learn about all this secular AA stuff? I guess you you got online, I suppose. Yeah. I just looked around online. I, I, I was pretty close to giving up because the first I found was just a lot of AA bashing, AA is a cult and lots of nonsense that was just crazy. But but finally I found, uh, I think AA Beyond Belief was the first site that Mm -hmm. kind of made sense to me and and, uh, secular AA. And so once I kind of find the first one, it was so much easier to, to start, start exploring and finding places i belong on the net yeah well that's cool you know someone told me um i can't remember who i was talking to but we were talking about the site aa beyond belief and he says you know john um you guys you guys could have done this in a bad way (laughs) you know you could have really you know you could have decided that you wanted to be anti-aa and bash everything but but we didn't um and it just was it was just natural for us i think just to focus on the sharing of personal stories more than anything else um and i think a lot of the articles on the site just deal with the personal stories that of people and they just share their experience. And a lot of times they talk about what it was like as an atheist in AA, and sometimes they don't even mention it, you know. So, but they all, we all kind of have a, a different perspective, I think, that is welcomed um, from, from another way of, of looking at things. Not that the other way is so bad, but so I, I'm kind of, kind of proud of that. I'm glad that, yeah. that you were able to find the, find the place and it was helpful to you. And for me too, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't really know anything about it. But, you know, when I very first started searching for atheist and AA, and this was before 2014, this was this might have been because I had a gradual descent into atheism. This might have been around 2009, 2010, maybe. And there really wasn't a lot out there. In fact, I remember, you know, trying to search on YouTube for like an atheist AA speaker and couldn't find anything. Um, and we've kind of taken care of that now. So they're, they're all over now. So, so now, you know, I think that we're growing so quickly because we, we are so accessible online and people can find us pretty easily now and find out that there's another way of viewing things and doing things and experiencing things. Yeah. Same for me. So, well, that's cool. Been fun getting to know you online. Um, you know, we started that 
that Facebook group for AA Beyond Belief. Oh, I don't know. Actually, we started a long time ago, but I, I wasn't really doing anything with it. And then we, we started um, started really getting more active, um, actually through the old-fashioned uh, resentment and a coffee pot um, situation. I got, yeah. a little, I got a little pissed off with another um, Facebook group. So I said, I'm going to start getting this one going. And, but that's been yeah. kind of fun, um, getting to know you and other people through that group. Yeah, I think it's often it feels a bit like a digital home group. Yeah, it does. It does. And yeah. uh, I kind of let it, you know, I guess I'm like the only person that moderates the thing now. And I've kind of let it, I, I don't even worry about it anymore. I, I was a little bit heavy handed in the beginning because I was just a little mm. bit afraid that, you know, it was going to get out of hand and I would just throw, I would throw people out, you know, for, oh, yeah. you know, without any warning whatsoever, you know, but oh. uh, now, now I, I kind of feel bad about that, but now I just, I just uh, let it go and it looks like it's doing okay. But, but that's how this podcast kind of came about with you because you had written something on there that we're going to actually post. Um, Doris didn't know quite what to do with it. And I'm sorry that I was so late getting back with you on that, but I loved it. It was kind of like a satirical piece because we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, I think, um, on Facebook. And uh, you wrote this really hilarious piece, I think. It was satirical, but it really made a good point about, you know, looking at AA as if it was some sort of a political movement or something where we all have to recite, you know, the... (laughs) It's kind of funny. Well, we're going to post that with this podcast so people can know what we're talking about. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. All right. Take care, Thomas. Recovery In the eyes of my discovery Recovery When you've been knocked down by destiny Try one time, you hesitate about the way I frown. And if I take two times, I find a way to heal my damaged life. Recovery. The song Recovery, performed by Daily Chaos, was used for the intro and outro of this podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast.